that President Truman has no knowledge of any secret project by this government that would give substance to the existence of such objects. Ross also said that both the Air Force and the Navy deny that such objects exist. Hey, I'm Chelsea. And I'm the battle cry of a thousand angry Branch Davidians. And hey, what's up? My name is Noelle, and I am the ghost of Bill Cooper. And we have a podcast called Freaky Geeks. Where you can hear us scream about birds not being real. And Stan Lee being the real-life inspiration for the little girl backwards crab walking down the stairs in The Exorcist. Find us on all social media and listen to episodes anywhere podcasts are heard. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a... Well, the owner of a comic book store. Trust me, true believer. Well, Jagger and me, we had a running contest to see who had the most comic books in the world. Whatever, my escape was, um, comic books. Net profit to me, negative $59. I love the comics because of the brightness displayed by the fellows who drew them. They remained with me always. And when comic books first came into being, it drew me to them. Tales from the Comic Shop. Hello, and welcome to Tales from the Comic Shop, the show that takes you behind the counter. Today, I am joined by Roger Prouse and Chelsea Bloomfield. How are y'all doing today? Fantastic. (laughs) <laughs> can't even fake it i know i'm sorry i tried um, <laughs> i'm great now that i'm talking to you guys oh see that's what i was after so chelsea you're new to the show why don't you tell the people about yourself um hi i am chelsea i write for bleeding cool in their comics and pro wrestling sections i'm on a sister podcast called freaky geeks where we talk about things a little freaky a little geeky and i also run utah's graphic novel book club and I have a perfect puppy named Puffin. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Roger, you have been on a bit of a hiatus. Why don't you tell the folks about yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, the co-owner of the Nerd Store in West Valley City, Utah, and co-runner of Wasatch Comic Con, also in West Valley City, Utah. That is also on a bit of a hiatus thanks to COVID. Well, we're happy to have you back. It's been a hell of a week. <laughs> Gamergate decided to stick their head up out of their hole this week and basically wreak havoc while Comic-Con was going on at the same time. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Gamergate is a loose collective of assholes who use their time to harass women over the internet and minorities. Gamergate is where Comicgate was kind of birthed from. Comicgate is the ones who have been causing all the ruckus in the comic industry this week. So for those, again, those who don't know, Comicgate spun out of Gamergate. Their origin is kind of convoluted, but essentially a guy named Richard C. Meyer started a YouTube show called Diversity in Comics in the mid, I want to say 2015, 14, in that range, maybe even a little earlier than that. His whole idea is that forced diversity is a concept that he's created that he believes is ruining comics, and so do his followers. And what forced diversity means is that comic creators are inserting their political values into comics, and he doesn't like it, and neither do his followers. And so they yeah, we, have a, it, we have a word for that. It's called art. Yeah, their mission is to uh, stomp out all art from being created, apparently. <laughs> so... They didn't have that much legitimacy until a artist who had worked for DC and Marvel and almost every indie company named Ethan Van, Sy- Van Shriver stepped in. And um, he has kind of taken over Richard C. Meyer's place as the, the mouthpiece for Comic Gate. If, if anybody wants to see why he took over for Richard Meyer, just go ahead and go watch. What was the the show, the Australian uh, Jim Jeffries? Was that the guy that, that just absolutely torched Richard Meyer? I did not know did about that. that. I have not seen that. Did you that, not no. see that? Because that's I, the name of that Australian comedian, right? Jim Jeffries? That's, I'm not getting his name wrong, am I? No, you're not. I've seen that guy. I've seen him live before, actually. Um, I saw him in like 2013 or 14 live up in Portland. That's interesting. I will have to go and find that. Yeah, if you guys um, get a chance. Yeah, that's who it was. Look it up. It was right in the middle of like Richard Meyer's like most public moment. 
and Jeff, Jim Jeffries did a whole thing on diversity in comics. I actually did an interview with Richard Meyer, and it came really, I mean, just showed how big of an idiot the guy is. Um, and he pretty much just shrank into oblivion at that point. Well, and the, also his Jawbreaker comic is just god-awful. I mean, it's one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever seen in my – worst pieces did, of trash I've ever seen in my life. Did you see when he tried to write for um, – there, there was leaked a like snippet where he tried to work for Marvel and tried to write an Ironheart comic, which is hilariously you know ironic in itself. Like he sent it in a sample? I, I, I assume Marvel didn't like – no, I have no idea. I have no idea how it leaked, but yeah, a sample that he sent in for for his you know take on an Ironheart comic. Yeah, and, so oh man, it I, was painful. I, oh, I bet. I'm, I'm sure he must have done that on spec. Though there's no way Marvel commissioned him to write an Ironheart comic. No, it was from, from what I understand, and I and I could be wrong about this, but from what I understand, he basically got the green light to bathe from somebody in Marvel to say, okay, send us your work and we'll look and see if we want to hire you. And so that was like his sample work to, to try and get a job with Marvel. Ugh. It was not good. I That's yeah. So around the time that Ethan Van Shriver came into prominence in the comic gate community, a woman named Flo Steinberg at Marvel died and Flo had worked in the offices of Marvel since the, since the uh, Dick go Kirby Stan Lee days. And when she passed her thing was she would go with women from the office for every week and they would go and get milkshakes. And so in remembrance of her, a, an editor at Marvel named Ether Antos and a bunch of uh, other women from the Marvel office, they went and got milkshakes and they took a picture, a selfie, and they posted it on social media. And for some reason, the comic gators decided that this was not OK and they went after her. And this is where we really saw how bad this community can be. I mean, Heather Antos, since pretty much around... I think this happened in 2017. Since that has happened, she had to leave Marvel. I think she just wanted to move on creatively as well. But also she left Marvel. And like apparently from the time this happened until she left in 2018, her inbox was flooded with just rape threats, death threats, all the worst stuff you can possibly imagine. The same thing with her twi- with her Twitter. I mean, even to this day, three years later, you go on her Twitter and it's still just, she's still being trolled by these people. And it's just really, really ugly. And that kind of brings you up to speed on who or what Comic Gate is and who the players are. And then this week, it came out that Dynamite Comic was looking to crowdfund a, a special cover with a Comics Gate character named Cecil. And. It's going to probably cost the CEO at Dynamite, Nick Barucci, his job at a minimum. It might cripple the company. Chelsea, can you tell us about what happened? Uh, Yeah. So basically what happened was Dynamite was trying to move forward by planning a variant cover campaign for Vengeance of Vampirella number one. And it showed Vampirella and Red Sonia, who are arguably probably the two most popular female characters at Dynamite Entertainment fighting on the cover of this comic book over Cecil. And Cecil is a character created by um, a comic skate figure of the same name. So essentially what happened is Dynamite was made aware of this, and then it kind of started the snowball rolling down the mountain to cause a huge avalanche where it went all the way to the top to Nick Barucci. Um, Ethan Van Shiver again came into play. And it was extremely problematic for Dynamite to the point where they're canceled. All of the Dynamite panels were canceled from San Diego Comic-Con. It just, it absolutely blew up. Basically, Dynamite has buried itself with this because people really don't appreciate comics skate uh, in the grand scheme of things. And that's really the fastest way I can explain it. <laughs> well, and I think that when you talk about people not appreciating it, I think it's important to note that um, it's not net even as much that the public doesn't appreciate, although that definitely comes into play. But Comicsgate tactics have been extremely ruthless towards retailers. I mean, I know a lot of retailers who are not political, who are very much just like they're there to do their job, who who vehemently oppose Comicsgate, largely due to Richard Meyer. But it, it, you know, watching their peers get absolutely attacked. And I mean, there's situations where people not only receive death threats, there have been stores that were actively vandalized in response to Comicsgate, 
you know, threats. And, and so I, I think a lot of the backlash that I saw anyways, I didn't see as much from the fan side of things, but the most of the backlash I saw was pretty fierce from retailers that straight up said they're pulling dynamite from their shelves. And when you're a small company as dynamite is, you really rely on those retailers to put you out there. Um, and I think that really hurt. Also, given the fact that EVS's name is so hard to say and kind of wordy, um, from here out, I propose that we just we, uh, name him based on his physical appearance and just call him the human potato. Yeah, human yeah. potato, perfect. Well, yeah, and speaking of like retailers, I um, I don't know as much about that, but in uh, like the perf- the other end of the professional spectrum of comic books, even Mark Russell, who is the writer of Red Sonia, announced that he's no longer going to even work with Dynamite, um, which is going to be like a huge blow to them professionally. And then as a female on the internet who writes about comic books, I've gotten so many rape, like rape threats, death threats. Like if I had a punch card for a, like every rape threat I got, I could probably get like a, just like a free car at this point. Um, so it's, I, I, I kind of love that as a solution for online bullying, by the way, Chelsea, is I think we need to have punch cards and then women refi- receive free shit when they get bullied. I think this is actually a great solution. Oh, yeah. Just um, I think my most favorite threat was someone said that they were going to turn me into a nun so that like I would give myself to God to like get a re virginized, at which point they would come and rape me. So it would be like my first time. That was probably like the most egregious <laughs> one where I was like, that's a lot of pain. Uh, but it's, um, and even just like, I, I, you know, as hashtag a woman on the internet, it doesn't get to me as much because I'm an anonymous writer behind an article. But it does, I don't know, going to something as harmless as a milkshake. No, that, you shouldn't hard. have to, that, I mean, that should totally bother you. I mean, there's no acceptable reason for that kind of behavior and like the fact that women in nerd culture have to like steal themselves and get to a point where they can like laugh and joke about being threatened to be murdered or raped or have their kids murdered or you know whatever horrible horrible thing that these guys i mean and it's amazing how these guys with the violence they seem to only target women with it too it's it's yeah Mm -hmm. very very cowardly yeah, there was a there was a local store near me where one of the female employees was very actively targeted. So to, to give some background on why retailers, I mean, that hate them so much, a lot of that came from the jawbreakers, which you mentioned. Um, what that was was uh, Richard Meyer used his YouTube fame to crowdfund this really horrifically generic sounding um, superhero book, and the crowdfund took off because you know that's how you own the libs. Um, and uh, our Antarctic Press, I believe it was, picked up the book, said they were going to publish it. So a few of the and, – and at first it wasn't that many. It was a few of the more leftist um, owners in, in, in more leftist cities said, hey, we're not cool with this. Not only are we not going to carry that book, but we're really not sure about supporting Antarctic Press that they're going to support this guy because he's he is called out. And many of them said, look, this guy's called me out personally. Um, and attacked me personally on his YouTube channel, and I'm not cool with that. If you're, you know, you're not a retail partner, if you're going to support him, um, and his response to that was to somebody leaked uh, screenshots from this private group, and they leaked online, and he and he promoted them on his YouTube channel as well as leaked them into all of the Comics Pro groups with people's names and, and links to their social media pages, and so that, of course, then blew up. They started getting threats. We had if I remember one or two stores were actively were vandalized within that, you know, that 24 or 48 hour period that were very bombs. About that. Um, yeah, massive amounts of review bombs and fake reviews. And then he actually called. So a lot of stores, and this is when myself included, we said, look, not only are we not at this point where we all joined in, we're like, Hey, this ain't cool. You know, this is the response to a couple stores using their right to determine what puts on their shelf. Um, if this is how that responds, we aren't going to support it either, you know? And so that kind of mobilized the rest of us at which point, um, he went on YouTube with his followers and said, Hey, I want you to all call your local stores and or pre-order as many copies of this as you can, because stores are saying they won't even do pre-orders now and then tell report back to us when they don't, and we'll flame them online and sick you guys on them effectively, which told us stores at that point, 
we went, okay, well, we're definitely not pre-ordering this because if you're calling me to pre-order it, you're probably not mm-hmm. actually buying the damn book. Um, so that alone, just from a business perspective, told me I'm not going to order this book. Um, besides, I don't order Kickstarter books in general unless they really have something going for that one. And that one was just a garbage generic book. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so that, I mean, they, they really, he really dug his own hole, but that made him, frankly, the reason they do this stuff is that made him a ton of money. All that faux outrage that he created and the way he mobilized his toxic fan base, they think this poured something like three or $400,000 into that stupid book that he then took six months to produce a pile of garbage that like even people that I know that, you know, I know a couple guys that did buy it that are kind of just apathetic and don't care. They all said, yeah, that was, that was crap. Like Uh it was just a garbage book. No. Um, I had a friend send me a picture and he's like, what the hell is this? Because it's a black guy jumping from one panel and he's quoted as saying in the book, with the power of 10,000 dead slaves or something. And he's like, what the fuck is this? Sorry, excuse me. He's like, what is this? I had to explain to him what Comet Gate was and who Richard C. Meyer was. And the only reason he had it was because they were, they couldn't sell them at his LCS, New York City. So they were giving the hardcover version of Jawbreaker away for free. And so he got a free copy off the counter. And he still counter. felt ripped off. <laughs> yeah, I know. He said he was, he, was in, he was riding on the subway and he was embarrassed to have, when he got to that panel, to like have that open on the subway in case anyone saw it. You know, isn't it so funny that people who are more left-leaning tend to get it called snowflakes? But the last time I checked, I did not spend six months of my life funding a sh- a crap project. Almost far cut myself. Um, funding like a crap project out of hate. But like, and then it just is going to get flamed on the internet for being terrible. Except for like maybe the small group of people who are going to support it no matter what. But there's just so many, like if you don't want to read about women or like people of color, there's still like so many options. Well, and the argument that he would make is, oh, well, I had people of color in my book. And the way he pitched his book is it was, quote unquote, free of politics. We're not trying to push our agenda because there's no politics in our book. And but but they used politics to push the fact that there was no politics in their book. So they very, very delicate, not well, not very delicately, very specifically used that to create, you know, made their book kind of a a buying that book, a political message in itself. And then people kind of, I think people kind of realize that when you buy a book that has quote unquote, no politics, it kind of has quote unquote, no story. It's got, um, no, it's got no perspective. Yeah. There's nothing in it that's actually valid and, and worth putting on paper. It's right. just a, it's just a generic story pile of garbage. Well, just yeah, it's because like, have always been on the forefront of pop culture and the most successful heroes are the ones who took a political stand. Like, Superman uh, fought the KKK and then you obviously Captain America went and fought Hitler, but like the ones who are most successful are the ones who do make a political statement. And if they think that their favorite superheroes are not involved in that kind of propaganda, they are like absolutely mistaken. I mean, even Spider-Man has an issue where Stan Lee teamed up with the health department to teach people about drugs, but obviously you're never going to see any hate about that. Well, and there was a lot in early Spider-Man about income disparity and about the plight of the working man. Yeah, even um, Identity Crisis talked about the traumas of rape, but for some reason, like it, they all this like people Comicsgate all of a sudden wants to think that this is like a new thing in comic books, so they don't talk about the marginalized or like the issues, but it's just such a like right swing where they're reclaiming something back that was that ne- also like never existed in the first place, but has been in comics since their inception. Yeah. I'd well, love to know if any of them were X-Men fans ever. Right. <laughs> or Black Panther. Um, it's right. interesting too, because the thing that the crazy thing is that even if you go back to like the very first American comic books, um, you know, well, first off comics, they all stem from political comics, commentaries from newspapers. I mean, that's, where we get our first American comics all the way going back, I think, to like the early 1800s. And then even in the 20s and 30s, horror comics and science fiction comics and movies are all commentaries on the politics of the eras that they're in. Like going all the way through the Golden Age, like all of the nuclear stuff, all the all the atomic monsters and, um, you know, 
people from another planet, you know, whatever, like the thing from another world, all that stuff is all political commentary on the issues of the day with immigration and the atomic bomb. And right. So it's, 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 it's very disappointing that see this subsection of the comic dumb that just very clearly this has gone over their heads. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, one of the big talking points for, for the comics gate people is that saying that, oh, well, we want to have right-wing stories told, and we want to have that perspective told, and we're not allowed to. But I'm telling you right now, I can say from for absolute certain, there are right-wingers in comic books working professionally every day. <laughs> oh, um, Frank, Miller, not, Frank Miller is a full-on libertarian, and I mean, yeah, he went way off the rails, well-documented, <laughs> but he was drinking heavily. Since then, he's kind of come back in. But <laughs> if you read The Dark Knight Returns, I mean, the themes in that comic are so heavily right wing. And that's one of my favorite comics of all time. It's an incredible read. It's so heavily right wing influenced, though. I mean, it's it's pro small government. It's pro states rights. I hate to say it, but it's anti intellectualism. Um, every single doctor or uh, every single doctor in the story is just an idiot. I mean, they're like literally one of them takes the Joker on a talk show in front of 600 people and gets them all murdered by the Joker because that's what the Joker's going to do. And he, I mean, I, yeah, no, I could go on about the, the politics just in that book alone. I mean, there's right wing material out there. Right. It's okay, willing but, to look but what, but what they do is they, they, they play that victim card and then they, what they do is they personally attack people in a large amount of times and, and openly attack other ideologies and then they say, oh, well, look, we've been blacklisted from the industry because we're right wing. And the truth is that they've been blacklisted from the industry because they're toxic. Now, they also play the false equivalency that, oh, well, look at someone like, say, Mark Wade, who openly says that if he sees, you know, certain people who kick their ass at a con, you know what I mean? Like, but there's that paradox oh, of tolerance, you know, it, like Mark they, Wade's being sued. He's in the middle of a lawsuit. I know that. <laughs> I know that. But, he didn't, but my point is, for a long time, he, he didn't see any professional backlash from saying things like that and they, they use that as a big part of their standpoint is why are we seeing this backlash when he's openly threatening violence but it comes down to the par- the paradox of tolerance right like you can't tolerate intolerance or it becomes too prevalent um and and i think pretty consistently i can't think of a single one of them and i'm sure and, and there may be an exception to this i'm not going to say there's not because i hate making generalizations but i can't think of a single one of them that has not had content that's been openly homophobic transphobic um, you know sexist um, or racist that racist. has been that has been blacklisted or has had these types of consequences everyone that i've seen that has had these open intolerances um, either through their work through their social media pages through personal interactions with people or through youtube channels um, at different points um, not to mention the way that they openly attack people of the industry. And you wonder to yourself, okay, well, why would they do this? Why does that, I mean, they get themselves blacklisted. The truth is they make a hell of a lot more money with this than people who do the work the honest way because they get that outrage machine behind them. There is no way without the outrage machine, a book like Jawbreakers hits several hundred thousand dollars in funding. There's no way that potato heads, freaking cyber frog bull crap is in the six figures in crowdfunding. And it's, if till last I checked, it was like a year and a half with past funding without delivering a single product yet. His YouTube channel still goes and he's still the God of this whole movement. Um, he's literally stealing from people based on their own personal outrages and they're conning people. And, and frankly, it's a pretty good con because they're making a lot of money doing this. Yeah, no, something about EVS is the man very well could be a charlatan. I mean, the guy, he, he got kicked out of the industry for being toxic and treating people terribly again. But like Gail Simone has tweeted extensively about their friendship. They were they worked together at DC on books and she considered him Chuck a friend. Dixon, Chuck Dixon as well. Chuck Dixon is another one that that same many people have come out and said, hey, I you know, this guy was a friend and then he kind of went off the rails. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely monetarily uh, there's it, it's like if there wasn't the money to be had there, I don't think you would have these guys out there doing what they're do- saying, what they're saying and doing what they're doing. No, they're not freedom fighters. They're not out there fighting for the truth. I don't well, I don't buy that for a second. The argument is that they couldn't make it and like the mainline stuff like who is EVS anyway, in comparison to someone like Gail Simone, like 
I would say Gail Simone is like a household name to most people who read comic books, but then you say Ethan Van Shiver and it's kind of like a, who was that again? You know, it's like, yeah, I mean, he's had a pretty long, he's had a pretty long career working for just about everybody. And again, I use Chuck Dixon. You want to talk about a guy. I mean, Chuck Dixon is the last I checked, I believe he's the most prolific writer in comic history. And he's a guy that's been effectively blacklisted for this same type of behavior at this point as well. Um, and so I think I mean, that credit, there are plenty of instances where, yeah, they made it. EVS, he uh, had a very popular Green Lantern run. I mean, he was a very hot artist for a minute there before he stuck his foot in his mouth and blew his career to hell. He has no one to blame for his situation but himself. And I, I think you're – I mean, he – probably is doing better now than he was before anyways so i guarantee you i and that's my point i bet you i bet you i mean i guarantee you he's doing better um i know chuck dixon has funded several of the his crowdfunded several of his projects and they're making him a whole lot more money than any of the independent stuff he did before and frankly probably his dc work as well because truthfully big two work doesn't pay that great especially for writers um, who don't have like artwork and stuff that they can sell to supplement that income so but um, but yeah, no, I, and, I and, and again, and then and then Chelsea, to your point, you do have those people like Richard Meyer who would never break into the industry or do anything and manage to now make a ton of money in comics because they latch onto this outrage machine. And then there's this there's the sub there's the sub Richard Meyer guys on YouTube that I mean the guy who went after Eddie's shop that guy I'd never heard of him before in my life and he's able to crowdfund over a hundred thousand dollars. I mean that's insane. I mean, it kind of like, it kind of like, should I sell my soul to the devil and write shit on it? <laughs> you know? No, it's, it's actually a little tempting, isn't it? It is a little tempting. I'm like, I can write about hating women. I, <laughs> I'm in the club, man. So uh, it is a, it is a letdown, but it does help to see people in the industry fight back. You can get a job. You can get a job on the blaze, Chelsea. You can be the next Tommy Lauren. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I can be blacked out drunk the whole time, I can yell about anything. <laughs> just got to well, learn to debate a camera really well. And that's the thing, though. If this was, if just to go back on topic, <laughs> um, if this was political, <laughs> if this was strictly political, I mean, I don't agree with them. But I, I don't I don't want to stop them from having their say and I want them, you know, I no, wouldn't have an issue with them saying whatever they want to say. The problem is, is they're so toxic. And like Chelsea has said, they've gone after every female in the industry. It's just been just I mean, it's just a parade of just awfulness of just horrible, horrible things being said to these people that don't deserve it. And it's not just I mean, it's trans people in the industry. Um, Oh, I'm blanking on her name. What was the trans writer? Uh, Max, Max Visaggio, I think, is the one you're, you're thinking yes, of. Yes, yes. They, they went after her. They targeted her. In a big uh, way. Yeah, no. I think Ethan Van Schreiber called her a man in a, a, man in a wig multiple times. Um, and that was like – that was the tame stuff. I won't even repeat the bad stuff. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd prefer her. we don't. Yeah, exactly. And so, she's, by the way, she's a very nice person. It, like she absolutely is not somebody who deserves anything like that. And and I, yeah, I mean the thing is, it's unprovoked. It's Completely, just, yeah. it, and that's the. I mean, it's it's very ugly. So then, if the as if the dynamite thing wasn't bad enough, uh, Tom King tweeted out that his Rorschach book had a B cover. That was done by Jai Lee, who had done a cover for Cyberfrog, which is uh, Potato Head's book. And so, you know, I there was a there's a pretty immediate backlash from comic gators about that. A lot of tweets targeting Tom King and calling him horrible names and um, saying awful stuff to him and um, basically saying he was trying to ruin an artist's career. And this is where some of us just work. Roger and I disagree on this for sure. Um, I blame this is all Jai Lee's fault. This whole storm, he chose to do the Cyber Frog cover as a commission, and he did not, as a professional, vet someone he was doing a public piece for. And if it had been a private commission, that's completely different. 
But because it's a public piece, it's going to be on a for sale, mass produced piece of merchandise. Jai Lee has a responsibility to vet who he is, um, who he's working with. And because he didn't, Tom King saw that he had worked with these people and he's got to do, I would want to distance myself immediately from anyone associated with potato head. I mean, that would be my first reaction. And that's what Tom King did. Um, now a lot of people are saying that he should have reached out to Jai Lee. So there's a famous documentary called the show about rappers in the nineties and the notorious B.I.G. is interviewed on there. And he says, before I became famous, I thought Heavy D and Salt and Pepper were just kicking it. Like I thought you became a famous rapper and then all of a sudden you just hung out with all the other famous rappers and that was your life. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing. But I feel like reading these responses, a lot of people are like, you know, Tom King doesn't isn't friends with Jai Lee. You know, they're not in the same friend group. They're they're professionals who work in the same industry. And there's no reason that he he doesn't owe Jai Lee anything in my opinion. So I can I can tell you as as somebody who's in the that end of the comic industry, the impression that kind of everybody is all friends and all knows each other is pretty damn accurate of this industry. Um, I don't know if Tom King and Jai Lee specifically if those two know each other specifically, but I would be willing to bet Tom King knows someone who knows him, knows people who are close friends that can give him a personal like, hey, is this guy cool? Is this guy all right? Um, I, I can tell you I've met both of them. Um, I, Jai Lee is, is a very approachable person. He's a very nice guy. Um, he is not somebody who, if you've met him, and I'm sure that um, Tom King has, you would be afraid to approach with something like this. Um, I think it was a case, and I don't fault Tom King necessarily. I think it was a, a, a case of him trying to get out in front of it. But I think if you if you look at what happened after that, where Tom King basically said, hey, I got a chance to speak to him. He showed, said his side of the story. He wasn't aware of these things, you know, and, and he basically said I was, you know, I was wrong to kind of single him out. You know, that, that it's the way the comic industry works, dude. Like people really do. It, it's kind of that, you know, six degrees of separation. Like you can get to just about anybody if you got, if you make a couple key friends, you know, in the industry, um, it is a pretty damn close knit group. Um, even, even myself as a retailer, I'm not even a creator and I feel like I could get to Jay, Jay Lee if I wanted to, you know, if something like this happened, um, I'm sure Tom King could have like, and I'm not, again, I don't fault him for not. I think he was running damage control. I think he was a very knee jerk reaction. And the thing that I, I think that he said about him, and I think that fans lose sight of really fast is there's a certain type of pe- person a lot of times who tends to be an artist um, there's a certain personality type and a lot of those guys they're not social media people you know Jaylee doesn't have a Twitter he doesn't do social media and I'm telling you right now if, if you weren't on Twitter and you're not in the everyday you know sphere of all this stuff you very easily could not know comics gate exists you very well easily could not know this was a thing you get a call from a guy who's you know, a name you've heard attached to some books saying, hey, man, I got this independent creative project. I've been a big fan a long time. Really love if you do a cover for me. You don't think about vetting them online. You know, and you don't think about like that's just not a that's just not a thing that comes up with with, again, the way that the industry is and the way these types of deals are done. You know, I've commissioned many pieces for publishing from artists and I've never vet one of them um, as part of that process. Um, certainly early on, I, I do a little more now, mostly because I'm only commissioning friends now because I know the people. But, you know, early on, it, before I was aware of Comicscape, there's no way I would have vetted people for this kind of thing. I actually had a very prominent comic gator at my first con that I flew out and had there. I had no idea until I got backlash from it and kind of explained to people, look, guys, I didn't know. And, you know, luckily he was a really nice guy. He actually turned out to be a great guest. He treat, we made him sign a paper saying, uh, you know, a code of conduct and respect that he'd treat people with. But by the time we knew, I mean, we had booked his airfare, booked his hotel, promoted him and commissioned a piece to sell at the show. You know, like it, we were kind of in too deep to our first show that we, we made the decision to bring him out. And, um, you know, I still stand by that decision because he was a great guest in all the other ways. I'm not a fan of his politics, the guy, but I will tell you, and Eddie will tell you too, because Eddie ended up hanging out with the guy quite a bit too. He was a surprisingly nice guy. Uh, he, he had a lot going for him, and I had a lot of people say that he was one of their favorite guests. So, you know, it's 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 not as cut and dry and black and white when you're actually the one signing the contracts and putting the money down and doing that stuff as, as I think people tend to think it is. Um, yeah, I would also, I would agree with that. I'm kind of more in the middle of the road. I do know that Jai Lee did respond to Tom King 
and was like, no, we're not good. But I do think that cancel culture has gotten pretty problematic. Like I think cancel culture is more for the type of people like Harvey Weinstein who are untouchable and they have, sure. you know, a culture of secrecy, but I think cancel culture, sure. culture um, with something like this, with Tom King attempting to quote unquote cancel Guy Lee, I don't buy it for a second. Like you said, that he doesn't know him or can't approach him. And there was no reason that he wouldn't have been able to kind of clear this out without taking it to Twitter. I think well, I can tell you a hundred percent. He could have called Jim Lee and Jim Lee could have put the two of them in touch. Right. So that's where it kind of seems like very insincere. Um, I think a big problem right now is this like armchair activism where people feel the need to go kind of balls to the wall and try to show how hashtag woke they are on social media, but really it doesn't get anywhere. So I would, I don't really see Tom King as being like a full advocate for someone like me in terms of comics gate. If he's only going to Twitter to call people out. It just seems like very insincere because I believe he has full access to Jaiti if he wanted it to kind of clear the air. And I think that there's, I don't want to say there's bigger fish to fry. I do want people to kind of get called out if they are problematic. But this, you know what I mean? It just did not feel like Tom King really did the appropriate amount of work that comes along also with calling someone out. Like you cannot be lazy with these types of things because it can destroy someone's career. And they could be legitimately in the dark. Like I would have had, you know, it's like I, even as like a female, I have been friends with problematic people or I, you know, I really, really, really like a lot of Warren Ellis's work. And then you hear in like retroactively that they're very problematic and you're like, well, crap, I didn't know. Like I can't change things just because I was absolutely ignorant to what was going on. And I'm not on Twitter either. So it's like very hard to keep up with all of this stuff. Well, and there's a big difference between actively sexually harassing and taking advantage of vulnerable people and drawing something for a guy who's a jerk. You know what I mean? Like, I also think and I I get that that's I I downplayed, you know, potato head a little bit there. But um, I, I do I do think that there's there's a big difference between being held accountable for your actions and being held accountable for working with somebody else who happens to have poor actions. You know, like, you know, for you know, you talk about Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Smith made his career with Harvey Weinstein and say what you want about him. I know people do and don't like him, but I don't think Kevin Smith is a guy who we're hearing a lot of sexual assault allegations against. You know, he came out, he came out and immediately when he found out about this, gave up all the royalties to the projects he did with Harvey Weinstein and donated them to women's charities because he was disgusted by it. But the guy was with him for years and had no idea. And he was someone who worked closely with him. These, one of the things when you're a predator that you learn very quickly is you learn when people aren't your ally and how to hide it from them. And, and this, you know, for me right now is, is a really personal conversation because I had an experience where one of my employees very recently turned out somebody I've known for five years turned out to be a sexual predator. I had no clue. Um, and, and Even as a female, like I have found people that I've even defended have been problematic and they're like, you, you know, and it's like, all we can do is just improve. But if you're not giving people the chance to improve, then what's the point? You know, like you're just yelling on Twitter. I agree. There needs to be a way to come back. Like, um, okay, people are going to jump down my throat for this. But like Michael Vick is a great example of someone. No, No, hold on. Hold on. No, 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 no. Just hold on and hear me out. Because he did something horrible. Horrible, horrible, and I understand why all ASPCA supporters, all and I love dogs, <laughs> believe me, what they did was un- inexcusable. But Michael Vick, he went to prison, he served his time, he came out, and as part of his probation, he worked extensively and exhaustively against dogfighting, and he has helped, been a big part of the change in the culture of dogfighting in the southeastern part of the United States. It's indisputable. I mean, and the thing is, the guy still does it to this day. He doesn't have to. He's not a public figure anymore. He's retired. And he still goes and he talks to kids in high schools. And he explains what he did very graphically, how horrible it was, and actively still works against dogfighting. Now, I'm not saying he should be able to come back from what he did. Look, I get the gut reaction to fuck that guy because – what he did to those dogs is inexcusable. It's horrible. 
And they, I mean, they're defenseless creatures. I, I, I think it's it's completely reasonable to say that the guy shouldn't get big endorsement contracts from Nike and be signing six hundred dollar autographs. But I also think, I think if you're if you have something that you believe in, it has to be tested in a way that that is harmful to you to see if it's something you really believe in. And if you are someone like me who really believes that criminal justice reform is a thing, that we are overly litigious, that we lock up too many people, and that we are too hard on felons to able to get back on their feet. This case puts that into frame to like, okay, that challenges that if someone does their time, we have to allow them to have a life on the other side. I mean, I don't want to be too controversial. If you do that to animals and I see you get murdered and they put me under oath in a court of law, I'm just saying I didn't see shit. That's That's totally reasonable. By the way, I don't, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that either, Chelsea. I think that you can have both of those opinions at the same time. Yeah, Michael Vick is a hard one to get me to feel like. I'm I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm saying like, I'm, that's the reason I picked him as an example is because that is the, like, for someone to come, like, how, how far can you, like, if you, if you can't, if he can't have, I mean, if what he's done and he can't have a way back, very clearly people still feel that he shouldn't, he shouldn't be able to have a way back. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I don't disagree with that. What I'm saying is he's done as much work as you can humanly do to try and right his wrong. You know what I'm saying? So like, where is this line? You know, I mean, how do you, I'm probably going to cut all this. So (laughs) (laughs) I know I was trying so hard. So for me, um, bite fuck Michael Vick. If, I will say if I saw someone murder him and they, <laughs> the cops knew that I, this, I would lie and be like, I didn't see shit. Uh, maybe a dog shot him. Um, but I will say that someone as problematic as say EVS, who's just kind of been like a super piece of shit. Um, or sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm trying so hard not to swear. Been a super you piece of crap. We, we, we left that behind a long time ago. Just roll with it. Okay. Um, so... I think that there is a point where people can be forgiven for a lot of the wrongdoings that they have done. Um, some people, I think, don't fit that rubric. Do I think that Jiley, um, Tom King are forgivable? Yes. Do I think EVS could be forgivable? Yes. Do I think Warren Ellis could be forgivable? That's not my place. I'm not one of his victims. Um, I do think that if he wants to get back into this culture, he has a lot of changing to do. Um And I think that uh, culture has definitely changed around these types of things. Like, I definitely admit that things that I tolerated even 10 years ago um, are things that I would never put up with now. So we all have to grow, you know? So, um, and just being a female working in a comic store, I've had situations where guys have full-on stuck their hands down their pants, have come behind the counter, done things like that, you know, just been very gross. I've had dudes inquire, uh, like gross things about when I get my periods, they would know when they could impregnate me. Um, a lot of that stuff is 100% disgusting. Did I hashtag cancel every single person who did it? No, because I also think that when you're in a position where you're a little bit more in tune with what's more on the uh, moral progression of society, that you also kind of have a result or uh, a responsibility to make society a little bit better. And it comes a lot with like a lot of fucking tiring education. If I had EVS in my life or even Warren Ellis, I would do that emotional labor of just like, you can't do this kind of stuff. And I think that there's certain things that you do, you can't come back from it. And it's like, yeah, go ahead. Bye. I hope a dog shoots you in the face. Um, but then for other people like, yeah, you can't come back. So that's where I think that cancel culture is problematic with what Tom King tried to do to Jaya to Jai. I was just like, that's really unnecessary, you know, because like the impact or harm you're doing art, we're all just trying to survive out here. Yes. Comics gate is absolutely problematic, but that doesn't mean that we can't try to like also be good to comics gate and hopefully just like we're in a war and these are all just such small battles. You know, well, and I, I, I think I think there's also a difference between like when it comes to like in, like something creative like comics or even movies or those kind of things, they get an elevated, accelerated voice. Right. So you don't want toxic people in those positions. So I think it's totally reasonable to say, hey, Ethan Van Shriver, Warren Ellis, you guys don't get to work in comics anymore because you clearly shouldn't have this voice. Um, that being said, should they not get to work at Costco? 
if they do, you know what I mean? Should they never be able to fall back? Um, do what level are we willing to say? So I think it's reasonable to say, Hey, I'm not going to give you a job representing my company, um, in a creative outlet with this kind of messaging. I don't think it's reasonable for us to be like, like you said, like canceled, like straight up, just like you can't even have an internet account or we're going to just flame you constantly. And, and that's why, mm-hmm. that's why I think it's totally reasonable for you to say like, Oh, if Michael Vick died, I don't care. You don't need to like, I legally, he needs to be able to have a life culturally, personally, you can have whatever damn opinion about him you want. I'm not going to fault anyone for that. And I'm not even going to necessarily say I don't uh, join you to an extent, but, um, but we have to t- separate our own personal opinions from what, we allow people to do to others, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's why I think I was saying if a dog shot him in the face, I wouldn't. <laughs> sure. uh, but like, yeah, I agree. People with like EVS and Warren Ellis, like good luck, whatever niche you can carve out in this industry. But I don't see you ever being to the level of success that you could have been if you would have been a little bit more educated. And that's the damage that you have done to yourself. But it's also like this slippery slope, right? Like I, it's like what? It goes down to free speech. Yeah, I don't, you can write whatever the hell you want to write, but it may not be successful because it's awful, but good luck. Like there's a reason why. And and that's why these guys are self-publishing. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know what, that's, if that's a niche that they've carved out for themselves, like also good luck. But um, those aren't the comics that I'm making accessible to myself. Those aren't the comics that I'm giving a platform for on Bleeding Cool. Um, Or in our shops. Right. And I mean, we have that right as well. Yeah. It's free enterprise. It's capitalism. These guys love capitalism. They love everything with that kind of government scheme on the right side. And it's like, okay, well you, if you want to promote it so hard, you're also could be a victim of it. And that's, if that's a game you want to play, then awesome. Good for you. But that's, I mean, you're, you're digging your own grave at this point. Yep. And, that, and that's where a lot of my problems with Comics Gate comes in is less about the fact that they write, you know, books that I don't like that has messages that I don't agree with. I don't I don't care. The problem is if I say, OK, I don't agree with this message, so I'm not going to put it on my shelf as a retailer. They take it upon themselves to attack me, to hide it behind the First Amendment while they betray the First Amendment, to threaten violence. And, and especially, especially if you are happen to be a woman who works at her own shop, it's that times 100, um, you know, what they do to you and you have to literally feel unsafe. That's where that line is crossed. I don't care what content they put out. They don't have the right to infringe on someone else's speech. Yeah. And if you want to come to the comic shop and be a creep and I kick you out forever, like, good luck. That's your repercussion. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. So it's like, I can still go home at the end of the day and sleep at night. And like, as a retailer, if you don't want to sell something, it's just, they're going to have to be that much more creative to be successful. And, you know, it's good luck, but I don't see it as being something sustainable because every generation we have is just going to be a little bit more educated and a little bit more in tune with social issues. And it's going to become more and more and more and more fringe. Hopefully. I mean, hopefully. Oh my God. What if I, what if it's not more and more fringe and then like, go to a big you know factory next year? Fringes, oh. fringes sell though. Fringes sell. I mean, fringes can still make money wherever there's a strong culture. There's a stronger counterculture. So yeah. and, um, there will so always be toxic trolls making money off of being toxic trolls. You know, there was um, a comic in the seventies that was on the fringe and it was called um, abortion Eve. And it tried to let women know about like, <laughs> abortion things you know and that could be extremely problematic but at the same time like there are things that come in from the fringe that are really good i'm not saying that any of this stuff is but i just you know what more power to you you're just not going to get the coverage you want and you're just going to be in your own cesspool of hate and ignorant people like good luck man and i look uh forward to the type of girlfriends that you guys get because i imagine it's not going to be fulfilling relationships if anything Oh, that's all. <laughs> so I don't know. I I see a flip side to the council culture thing, and that's the thing that I find it borderline hypocritical because a lot of the people who use council culture as a rallying cry, they also are people who say things like "keep politics out of art." And um, sure, absolutely. And, and like, I think a great example is Colin Kaepernick. Just to talk about another NFL quarterback on a comic book show. Oh, um, <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> well, no, I mean, Kaepernick's a great example. He got signed, you know, he, 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 he kneeled. His message was co-opted and twisted and misinterpreted. 
and he lost his career and Nike signed him to a contract anyways because of the importance of his voice as a uh, as a activist. voice as an activist thank you and um the right immediately boycotted i mean there are, you, you can look up youtube videos of these idiots burning their nikes on their feet because that's how oh stupid God. these people are right. i just remember like please give me your nikes like i will burn them wink wink for you yeah <laughs> provide yeah, a nike and- burning service well, yeah. I, mean, I mean, there's literally videos of these guys doing it while they're still wearing them and having to go to the hospital because now they have third degree burns on their feet. That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, the Venn diagram of the people who burn their Nikes and the people who have COVID because they haven't worn a mask is a circle. <laughs> so they have killed themselves. <laughs> yeah. It's so hypocritical for these people to bitch about council culture when that's exactly what they oh, do. Yeah. That's the top of a hat. I mean, they're, they're they're also the people that are boycotting Walmart because they require a mask. I mean, I don't think I don't think either Chelsea or I are defending those people. I think we're just trying no, 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 to. No, I, I'm not. There's an I effort think, to rein in our own, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not. I'm not saying you are defending those people. I'm saying that the uh, it's just it's very interesting to me the 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 hypocrisy of this particular group that has kind of used used cancel culture as a as another rally cry to the uh to the stupid right. <laughs> and i don't want to sound like i'm trying to be a good old boy by saying oh i don't like cancel like cancel culture it's just that people who i don't need to cancel are already on my side but the people who aren't on my side like it's it's crappy but it's like you want them on your side so have those conversations i mean what I mean, if I if we canceled every single problematic person who came into a comic shop or had a different opinion, it's just going to create this big divisiveness. And there are things we should be divisive about. Um, I'm if you're like, I want more Nazi comics, I'm like, well, like go to hell. But you know, yeah, but if, you. Like, you know, if, if someone's like, oh, I really like this artist and I want to buy the comics that this artist is promoting, then that's like a very different thing. Like, there's different tiers of negativity sure. in the comic community. And it's kind of just picking battles. And I don't think this whole Tom King thing is it. Oh, um, for sure. You got to remember it all happens online too. So when you're, when you're arguing with someone online, 99.9% of the time, you're not arguing with that person. What you're doing is you're getting all the other people that are reading that to see your point, because you're yeah. never going to get through to the person you're talking to. Absolutely. And I it's think so it's the same way. Yeah. I think it's the same way. If we cancel people over everything, then when we, if somebody really needs it, that did something for legit, then it just gets lumped in with all the ridiculousness. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that if somebody would have reached out and been like, Hey man, this is what comic skate is. And this is who you're working with. Like, well, in advance, then it would have been a different discussion if he would have chosen to work with EBS or not. Um, but even then, like, oh, my God, as an artist in this industry, like, if someone who's, like, low-key ready to sell, like, a baby on the black market so I can have an income, uh, it's, like, hard out there, you know? It's, like, and all you can do is just educate people and put in the time, especially, um, I mean, I, I is, like, white people in the industry or people who are a little bit more in tune with the industry, it's, like, doing the work to make those spaces available and... I don't, you know, it's like our responsibility to do that. If you, if you have the emotional capacity to, like, you just don't have to cancel everyone who disagrees with you. Like, I don't want to cancel EBS or like Warren Ellis, like, good luck, you're a POS. Like, I'm not going to read your comics anymore and I'll never recommend them to anybody. And the people the that will cancel them for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just very that it's like, okay, fine. Like you dug your grave, but it's like putting efforts into people like Gail Simone or Chelsea Kane, who did get canceled a few years ago, you know? Um, it's putting like, I don't know. It's, it's just like, it's just, I don't know. There's a woman on the internet in comics. It's just it's so hard to argue with every single person that I would rather just try to slowly educate and get more people on my side, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I, in my army. I wonder if we spent as much energy and time and platform elevating good people as we do tearing down bad people, what that would do. Right. Yeah. It, that's like a really you know i can't even i'm like oh who's a good person in comics and you try to think it's like uh because we're so focused on people who are bad and it's they'll bury themselves in the throes of capitalism so and if 
And if hate, they want to be hated, then people are going to find them anyway. Like, there's really not much we can do. Just let them die out. They probably won't procreate. I mean, but lucky for me, I've been in a culture where I've been able to go to heebie-jeebies. I've been able to go to the nerd store. I've been able to go to Dr. Volts. And no matter, like, what I look like or what I'm interested in, I'm always, like, absolutely embraced. And I think that's the only reason why I was able to thrive in this community is because I have shot like local shops around here where I could be like, I'm looking for romance manga or I'm looking for the coolest Captain America comic ever. And it's treated the same. And it's awful that some people don't have that because it's just so polarizing. It's, um, uh, by the way, the coolest Captain America comic ever is a uh, secret empire in case you were wondering. Oh, nice. I just finished reading um, Captain America white and I actually don't like Bucky because I'm jealous of his love. And that's like the hardest thing for me to read. <laughs> no. All right. Well, moving on. <laughs> um, I know, sorry, so many tangents. No, 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 no. That's that's great. I, I encourage that. It's just uh, I want I want to talk to you about the con, the online con that happened this week. Um, tell us about SDCC, Chelsea. Um. So first off, they canceled every single Dynamite panel that they had because, like I said, you get repercussions for being awful. But I only got to see two panels, and one of them was DC panel at home, and then the other one was the like the superpowers at Dark Horse or like the coolest people at Dark Horse, which had like Gerard Wade on it, and that was what I was most excited to see is like a closeted emo kid who graduated in two thousand six. Um. Unfortunately, that one was very, it just seemed very tired. Like, they didn't seem very enthusiastic about it, which was really unfortunate. But for the um, DC at Home panel, oh my god, I am obsessed. Like, just the way that Snyder talked about metal made me want to read it. And I had only, unfortunately, heard bad things about it before. But he was so excited and, like, so enthusiastic. And Greg Capullo, like, I, if he has a cameo, I'm spending all of the little money that I do have just to have him talk to me. Because he was so excited about metal. Like, I was trying to write down the quotes he was saying. And he would just say, like, it's bomb. It's bombastic. We're lighting the place on fire. We're going to burn it into the ground. <laughs> and like, we're at the end of the comic. And he would just say, like, oh, my God, it's too awesome. I think I died and went to heaven. But, like, literally screaming it to, like, where my microphone would cut out. <laughs> Um, Greg Greg Capullo so, is is excitement in human form. That's just who he is. Right. And so it's just yeah. really neat to see like excitement in the industry because we've all been kind of down because of COVID. So I'm gonna like he turned me. I had only really heard bad things about metal, unfortunately, so I did not read it. But his enthusiasm alone made me want to read it. So I did um request it from my local comic book shop. And I'm going to read it. It was just very neat. And also, Gerard Way's regular speaking voice is very different from his singing voice. Uh, and that was very odd for me to, to hear. <laughs> like, dare I say he sounds like a huge nerd. Like a stereotypical cartoon nerd. But with the voice of an angel. Gerard Way is the lead singer from My Chemical Romance? Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, and the writer of Umbrella Academy. Yes. And he's also working on Doom Patrol right now. That's such um, a, actually, that's hilarious. That's a perfect fit for him. <laughs> I mean, I honestly think Umbrella Academy is a, uh, we'll say, I'll be nice and say an homage to Doom Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I think that it was really smart for San Diego Comic-Con to do it this way. Um, I've been involved with Salt Lake Fanex for a while. And I did do two virtual panels with them. Um, at the beginning of the year, kind of, when COVID first hit. But I think it would be really smart for them to try to get something put together in a similar way. And if Wasatch Comic Con is able to do it, because... If if we could, we will. I, it's very much something we've discussed. Um, we don't exactly have the budgets and resources of these other guys. Yeah, um, the hard thing is San Diego Comic Con's like a god when it comes to like Comic Con. Right, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's something we've discussed. It's something that we're open to. I'm working out some things. I might even be able to, yeah, I'm working on some stuff. So um, if we do it, though, it, it's definitely going to be a little while before we can do it because it's it's a, it's going to be a, it's going to be a thing. Well, if you need help, let me know. I literally have all the free time until I get a job. So. All right, cool. Well, if you, if you can do all the tech and programming, then you're hired. 
Uh, I'll Google how to do it. Uh, <laughs> terrible. So I think I think the hardware cost would be harder than the tech than the software so, than the yeah probably. Yeah, but, <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was just really good to be able to like sit and zone out and listen to people in the industry talk about good things because it has been so negative <laughs> for so long. Um, just like even daily hate mail, like some of the hate mail I'm like I love or I even get jealous of it. Like Caitlin, my editor, editor. <laughs> She got called like a bland ass white bitch or like the queen Karen, or I think is what she got called. And I was like, those are good. Like all I get are rape threats. So um, maybe I'll get more uh, impressive hate, but it was just really nice. Like my, I really needed something, just something good. In fairness, if you're going to be toxic, you should at least be creative. Really? I mean, that, that, that's the minimum you can do. Yeah, I I agree. I'm excited to hear what you think about metal because um, when you get done, you have to come back and talk to me about it because uh, Eddie and Roger don't have that interest in it. And um, I, I just love metal because it's um, it's just such a rabbit hole to dive down. And I love Capullo and Snyder as well. Yeah, uh, like when I go to my local comic shop, like I'm very much just like, what, cause I do like graphic novel book club or when I get stuff from bleeding cool, it's like the random issue here or there. And, uh, so when I go into my local, my, um, LCS, I just like, tell me what to read. And I looked at metal and they were like, don't read that. It's terrible. So I just said, okay. But then Greg Capullo, he pulled me in. He's like an angler fish. I'm going to the light. <laughs> The thing about metal is that that you have to uh, it's it's so convoluted at the by the end and I think part of that is the fact that they brought Grant Morrison in to help write. Oh God! Yeah, I didn't know that Grant Morrison was in that kid. That just killed it. I will never read it. That's all I need to know to know I will never read that book. <laughs> See, um, I love Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison. Demon. No, no. Nope. His Batman run. His Batman run from six fifty five till the end of Batman Inc. is. I, I really enjoy it and Leviathan as well. Um, not to tell you guys how to run your own podcast, but you should do an episode on the wizard war between Grant Morrison and um, Alan Moore. Okay. Because they're straight up into wizardry and witchcraft and things. And they are ma- have been in a magic fight for like, and not magic oh, no. the gathering no. the court game, but like a legitimate, like. Grant Morrison <laughs> is the Hunter S. Thompson of comics. Grant Morrison yeah. is 100% the Hunter S. Thompson of comics. If you like Hunter S. Thompson, you'll probably like Grant Morrison. If you despise Hunter S. Thompson, you probably won't like Grant Morrison very much. Yeah, like I'm not a teenage boy, so like, you know, I could take it or leave it with Grant Morrison. Um, but I, I like everything, <laughs> though. Like, I, love, I liked the Star Wars prequels. I like all of it. I You put it in front of my face, and I'll like it. The only thing I didn't like was the Solo movie. Everything else, like, just give it to me and I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap things up for us this week. Chelsea, I hope you'll come back and join us again. If you'll have me. Thank you for letting me be the last option on filling in. <laughs> or the only one who volunteered. It was a pleasure. Yeah, not, not the last option, but the, the, the first person to step up. <laughs> I'm like, everyone's free. Hi. I think you should come back and we should do that wizard episode. I want to hear what you know about this. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm ha- ready. You just let me know, and I'll get a box of wine, and I will be ready to yell about anything. <laughs> and I will just sit All back right. and listen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Roger, Chelsea, thank you for joining us. Until next week, we will talk to you then. Adios. Bye. This show is part of the Geek Nerd Network. Geek Nerd Network. Find more shows like it at geeknerdnetwork.com. This is Janet. Somewhere in a movie studio corporate boardroom. Okay, pitch me something good, see? All right, there's a war. It's in the stars. Uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? Yeah, it would never work. Next. All right, so there's an alcoholic tech billionaire, and he's captured by terrorists, builds himself a robot suit to escape, then goes on adventures saving the world with Norse gods and unfrozen World War II superhero. Boo. Next. All right, right. This unknown boxer from Philly takes on the champ. Inspirational sports movie. Not woke enough. Okay, okay, okay. How about 
a podcast about movie franchises, how they get made, and whether the movies hold up or not. Go on. And we review the movies and talk about them? I can put that on a lunchbox, and we'll call it Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye. It's the best idea I ever had. I'm Mark. And I'm Brooke. And I'm Andy. Subscribe to Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening now. Join us every week along with special guests to discuss some of our favorite movie franchises and why the world seems to revolve around them. Through November, we're discussing the films surrounding James Bond in a miniseries we're calling On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. Not just Bond, also Bond-adjacent movies like Austin Powers, Top Secret, unofficial rogue Bond movies. Atomic Blonde, The Rock, and some of these will be exclusive to GNN Network subscribers. Join us with new episodes at the beginning of most weeks, barring any problems with our spy gear. You expect me to podcast? No, Bond. I expect you to... Kiss your your franchise. franchise. Goodbye. Goodbye.